Hello Spectrumites and other people. My name is Forrest and welcome to the Pancake King, Life and Marriage on the Spectrum. The podcast for you to learn about the autism spectrum, learn what it's like for someone like me to live on the spectrum, and what marriage is like between two people on the spectrum. Hello, hello everyone. This is Forrest from the Pancake King, Life and Marriage on the Spectrum. So, little thing that's going on. I've been very busy lately. So busy, in fact, that when I recorded the episode that I was supposed to put out tomorrow, I didn't end up liking it. After thinking about it for a little bit, having some time to sit on it, I didn't like the way it turned out. It wasn't very well organized, and though I had a message in it, It didn't quite hit where I wanted it to hit. So that being said, I don't want to just put out content for content's sake. I like to feel good about the content I put out. That being said, today's episode is going to be a flashback episode to one of my favorites from all the way back in season one, so that I can still put something out, introduce something to new listeners. If you've been uh, with me in the show from the very beginning, this episode will probably be familiar to you, though it has been, you know, a year and a half since this episode came out, so... If you liked it enough, you might like listening to it again. Be reminded of what my friend Blade and I talked about in this episode. And next week, I promise there will be a new original episode with the message that I really wanted to put in it. So, hope you guys enjoy this. For all you new listeners out there who just hopped on the show just recently, I hope you enjoy this too. And I will see you all properly next week. This time I'm with uh, one of my close friends, Blade. So, um, we're out here to just have a, a little bit of a conversation, just kind of get to know, um, know a bit uh, who you are and um, your background on the autism spectrum and just kind of like, I don't know, shoot the crap, <laughs> like in a few other areas. But okay. yeah, uh, so you said that you got to have a conversation with your uh, mom recently yep. you know to sort of uh, get the research uh, done for this episode you were diagnosed on the autism spectrum too but you were diagnosed um way earlier than i was like in preschool kind of age so i was diagnosed very young um so that's why i had to talk to my mom because believe it or not i don't remember a whole lot of stuff from that from from when i was that young uh so uh, i don't know if you want me to just start going through please anything. Okay, so uh, I talked with her about it, uh, and she told me about how I was diagnosed when I was young. When she described how, like, when I was one, when when a kid is one, they should know so many, like, a, a certain amount of words. They should know better. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. Right. Right. But uh, I should have known more words than I did. Like, I think it was she was saying how it was like I should have when I was one. I should have known like a hundred words, and I only knew like ten or something yeah. like that. Like, like, I was very much, like, speech and language delayed at that point. Um, there was a lot of, like, tactile things I didn't like. So, like, there's certain materials that my mom described to me that, like, she could not trust me in because I would hate it. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't diagnosed with autism yet. Okay. Um, it wasn't until, like, because uh, at this point we were living in Michigan, my family and I, and they had a pre-primary program. For, for the schools there and at least how my mom described it, it was a wonderful program uh, so kind of like a kind of running theme that I noticed when I talked to my mom is that this is, is that as they'll be diagnosed and kind of treated it is kind of a success story for early education for for at least Michigan 
Sure. So, okay. for me at least, this is very much a success story for the U.S. education system. Good. Let's hear it then. Yes. <laughs> um, so, several kinds of therapists, because uh, as, as I was a young kid, my mom described me as, like, just, I could not sit for very long. I would run all, run all over the place, like, whether it be at church, school, so on and so forth. Um, I'd have a hard time, like, with certain materials, because as people with autism, they, there's just certain things they hate to touch mm. and whatnot. And uh, a lot of noises as well. Like, she would describe, even when I was, like, six months old... There, she every time she turned on a certain vacuum cleaner and a hand spinner, like a kitchen hand spinner, mm -hmm. it was those two things that, even at six months old, I would scream like bloody, bloody murder, to use her <laughs> words, uh, whenever she turned those on. It was only those two things. So it must have been something about that specific noise that just drew six-month-old me absolutely bloody insane I, I now I have to find out the things that would make you scream bloody murder now I'm sure it shouldn't <laughs> be that hard <laughs> I don't I, I don't know about yeah I don't know about now <laughs> now that I think about it <laughs> I don't know I don't remember the last time I screamed bloody murder so that, that would well, be quite the accomplished good. kid I remember the last time I did <laughs> <laughs> but go on please yes um so Basically, there were several kinds of therapists and through the pre-primary, or through the, I'm going to say pre-kindergarten, mm -hmm. just to make it easier. Uh, pre-kindergarten, like, uh, several kinds of therapists would help me get me focused, teach me more words, and just be care certain, be comfortable with certain materials. So uh -huh. one thing my mom described is they would force me to put a hand, my hand inside of, like, on, like, gene materials, because mm. that was one of the things I hated. Feel it, Blade! Feel it! <laughs> feel it and be okay. Yeah, right. Uh, you're going to feel it and you're going to like it. <laughs> and uh, we did that for about a year or two. Mm. Uh, yeah, at that point, you're just so sick and tired of feeling jeans material, you just never wore jeans again. No, I know you have. I'm no, just no, no, no. Like, I, I wear a lot of jeans now. So, like, <laughs> when my mom was telling me this, I was like, oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. But, uh, so kind of, that was kind of, so the, again, this is before I'm actually diagnosed with autism. Right. So this is just things that they're, you know, this is the 90s, so it's not like, <laughs> it's definitely, like, it definitely culturally, they're starting to open up a lot more towards, you know, the being okay with these things and diagnosing them as opposed to just being like, shut up and accept it kind of thing. Right. But, you know, they still haven't made that tr full transition yet, so... Uh, it isn't until kindergarten that a special education teacher uh, had really kind of like started the track to get me diagnosed with this correctly because mm -hmm. she was mentioning that because my mom kind of talked a little bit about how uh, most of the things would have that like that I was doing you know being hyperactive running around a bunch and not being able to sit and focus mm -hmm. would have been generally would have diagnosed me ADHD which would have been very bad because many of those pills for ADHD people have the opposite effect for people with autism. I can speak that for uh, with experience, actually. No, I, I actually was uh, prescribed pills for ADHD when I was younger. Um, I didn't keep them, you know, like I didn't keep them. Which, by the way, stopping taking uh, ADHD pills cold turkey is horrible. <laughs> it, it, the, the withdrawal of that is absolutely awful. It's the worst. And 
again, this is again where I'm very thankful that they decided that they were able to identify that it wasn't ADHD I had, but high functioning autism. So that way they were able to avoid that for me. Now, at the time, though, did they call it Asperger's? Yes. Okay. I'm just using high functioning autism because I feel like there's a better term for it anyway. And I think that's yeah. the more modern term, isn't it? It is. Uh, they discontinued even using the term Asperger's, like, even before I was diagnosed. Okay. So when I was diagnosed, it was high-functioning autism disorder. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I'll just keep using the high-functioning autism, even though, for the most part, it would have been called Asperger's back then. Yeah. So, you're Asperger's, I'm high-functioning autism. That's that's the point. We are different, you and I. <laughs> <laughs> back in my day, we called it Asperger's, and we liked it. <laughs> of course, the guy comes by on his cycle right <laughs> yeah. as you're yelling that. And we liked it. <laughs> He had a certain look over, like, what's with him? Right, right. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I um, don't care. <laughs> I just found it funny. Yes. <laughs> so, um, so like, one thing she noted that this special education teacher noticed was that I more... It was more than... That there was more going on than me just wanting to be left alone by other kids. Yeah. Uh, there was a lot more going on. So, this special education... And at this point, my family and I were living in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a small town north of the state. Nor- in the northern part of the state. Named Rozo. Rozo? Yeah, near the <laughs> Canadian border. Yeah. I don't know. I was like three. It was a place. <laughs> anyway. So, a specialist from the Twin Cities came and had to diagnose me. Um... So he's the, so it wasn't until then that I was like officially diagnosed with high function autism. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, uh, there was a fine-tuned individual education program that was put in for me or an IEP. Okay. And my mom was talking about how like these she talked a lot about these. I'll talk about that a bit more later. I think I have the notes later for them. But uh so that basically gave gave the school the funding to give me the special program for my for myself so i wasn't necessarily taken out of normal classes from what i remember Mm -hmm. but i was but i had extra classes that i went to because of this individual education program because right because of that so i wasn't in like the special ed courses in the Mm -hmm. sense of like taken away from the normal classes put in those but i did have those sure okay um so the these generally helped a lot more with speech tactile stuff um it was kind of one of those things where my mom was telling me a, a, a story about how, uh, like, for for me as a child, like, at one point, like, I just hated getting wet. Oh, and yeah. so at one point, my mom talked a wh- for a while about a story about the school called her. And she was like, oh, no, what about Blade now? And they're saying, they were like, no, we're super happy. Blade jumped in a water puddle. And he was oh, just keep, nice. kept jumping in it. Just having having the time of his three old self or whatever. I, could, I, could, I couldn't stand getting in water, but now I love it so much. <laughs> well, and that was kind of precisely where they were so happy because because of that because the program was obviously working because at least very young me was like I hate getting wet at all mm-hmm. and then being like this water puddle is fun I'm gonna jump in it a few times. Nice. And nice. my mom just talked about how like that was such like especially the person who called in and was just like super happy about that so mm-hmm. they could see that progress being made. Um, so, like I was saying before, it was hyperactive a lot when very young, couldn't s- stay still for long. Um, my mom talked a bit, a bit, a bit, a bit about how like the the later the autism is diagnosed, the harder it is to quote unquote correct. Yeah. Uh, so again, this is why it, this for me at least, uh, it, this is a success story because they identified it so early. Yeah. In my life. 
uh, teachers in first and second grade noticed how I would get very frustrated. Mm -hmm. And so this kind of was like a window into like even how I act now. Because for me, I don't generally let out my frustrations too much. Um, there, there's a certain point where I might throw a pen because a certain person in an elevator is not listening to what I'm saying. I'm sorry. That's about, that's, that's, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to rant about my job. Uh, but, uh, it takes a lot for me to hit that wall to where I do let out my frustration. Right. In a not healthy way. Right. That results in a pen being destroyed. <laughs> How but, many pens have you gone through at this point? Uh, just one. Oh, okay. Just the well, one. That, <laughs> I'm it, talking it, about one instance. <laughs> I talk about one specific instance that happened recently. Okay. Uh, it, for me, probably the most frustrating thing is when you talk to somebody who should be able to react and understand your words, but instead acts more like a brick wall. I know that feeling. I'm I'm a brick wall a bit myself. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of something that people have been uh, very frustrated with uh, with me in the past. Is you know I will act like a brick wall. Part of it is just the fact that I have no like facial expression most of the time. Oh. So you know it, it makes people wonder. Well, like, are you even listening? Do you care at all? And I'm like, yes, <laughs> but in my own way. You know, you're not going to get that overtly expressive. Uh, Martin Freeman, Bilbo Baggins, like, all the time. You know, yeah. that sort of personality. But anyway, so back in first and second... For teachers in first and grade notice how I would get frustrated a lot. And so occupational therapy and special education taught me how to call down and not become as frustrated. So it was, again, one of those things of, like, as a young kid, they identified an issue related to my autism and helped correct that as a kid. Like, so much so that, like, I don't remember most of this. Well, maybe so, that's for the best? <laughs> yeah, well, th probably, because, uh, again, that didn't become an issue for that I would have had to correct in my adult life kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and my mom mentioned how there would be different things here and then that would show up over the years afterwards. However, for the most part, like, the big issues, like she was mentioning, like, being behind in, like, speech development and, like, getting super frustrated, uh, that at least went down over the years and especially the speech and language stuff did uh what were corrected it was just a developmental thing that they had to give me special attention to right um so you talked about how like she, she used the term like sight words to help pronounce and learn words so like she talked about how at one point like she used this little story about how like as a young kid i would walk up to her and be like eh, eh. and she'd be like what okay use your words uh -huh. and i would still go eh eh and she knew I'd be talking about wanting a cookie, and she'd be like, oh, so do you want a cookie? And she would have to eh, kind of... Eh. Kind <laughs> of. And going. she Yeah, kind of keep going like that, or at least have to take an extra step to make sure I associated the word cookie with a cookie kind of thing. My parents eventually discovered that when I go, nah, nah, you know, that meant <laughs> I was hungry. It's kind of funny, because when you think about it, if you were to, like, look back at the old videos where they were able to capture that... Mm -hmm. um, it would look pretty uh, self-entitled, like, entitled, <laughs> you yeah. know? Um, okay. It was just something that, like, it was an expectation that I would make through a sound. Yeah. I certainly wasn't smiling either when I did it. <laughs> so, uh, so after the diagnosis, the school in general really helped me tolerate sounds, touch, etc. My mom talked about how they even had, to make, had me wear weighted jackets. <laughs> to help me be okay with sitting down for a while. Interesting. Um, oh, because it would uh, discourage you from trying to stand up? Yeah, basically. <laughs> and We're going to hold you down. <laughs> and this I found interesting because I was like, even to this day, I don't like, I don't, the one, 
one thing I don't like about my current job is sitting uh, sitting down for eight hours a day. Yeah. Now, I have enough freedom to be able to stay on my desk a bit. Like, I'm not literally chained to sit to my de- at my desk all day, but that's just something I just... That's one smi- minor thing I don't like about my job. And so I was kind of... As I was having this conversation, I was like, oh, I mean, there's plenty of reasons to not like being... being having to sit at a job for eight hours, but this is just one of many reasons for me. Right. So it was kind of like, it was kind of like, as I was having this conversation, I was like, okay, so this hasn't affected me too much in my adult life, but there's still little nuggets here and there that I, can, that I noticed that at least are in part why I don't like certain things, so on and so forth. Right. Um, and she did also mention that I was given a different grading level in these early, uh, early on in class, mm-hmm. in these early on classes. Uh, so... That was kind of the early stuff. Like, for the most part, that's that was everything that was done. As I grew up, like, I stopped having these, like, independent, like, special ed courses, especially in, like, middle and high school. Like, I didn't have anything like that. Yeah. Um, there was some accommodations given to me, but for the most part, like, I didn't really need them. Like, mm. uh, at one point, uh, I remember in high school, like, they were telling me about how, like, I could take the privilege to, like, take classes, take tests, and, like, by myself in a in a quieter room away from everyone else but I'd be like I don't really need it <laughs> like, I remember my mom telling me is like Blade you, you do need to take advantage of some of these or else we can't give them to you anymore and I kept right. going back and forth is like well I don't really need them like so. I'm spending money you know on these I assume no actually uh, that's one thing my mom stressed a lot about IEPs these individual education programs is that they're completely federal funded they're a federal okay. program uh, she and Ka- my mom talked quite a bit about this actually because and again this is where I want to st- I want to emphasize this is where education really came through on me like f- federal funding for for a school program really helped me out here is that this was no cost to to me my family or the school itself oh because okay. uh, again it, again the program is titled individual education program or plan and basically the school only has to put something into the federal government and they'll pay for everything Right. So the specialists, the extra education, all that. Right. Uh, my mom talked a bit about how some friends of her were under the impression that at least the school had to pay for it, like the local school in and of itself. Mm-hmm. And she said, and she emphasized very much to me that no, that is not the case. And especially in my early life, I went through a lot of different schools because I, at one point, I lived in Michigan. I don't think I was going to any school there. She talked about, of course, the preschool uh, program that I was going to in Michigan, where most of the story happens and yeah. then I went to two or three different schools here in the QC before I really like before we really really settled down kind of yeah thing. right so and all of them I was given this stuff through the IP because it's a federal program and all the schools had to do was apply, apply for it yeah and cool. my mom mentioned how some schools may not be aware that that that's the case or they just had to apply for it and whatnot but she uh, she did emphasize to the to these schools, and they worked with her plenty about getting these things done. Mm-hmm. And my mom did talk about how, uh, at least from what she's learned from other parents, is that the schools are willing to work with you, but they're not willing to be dictated to to themselves by by your every beck and whim. Right. She was kind of talking about how she had to like kind of have a give and take with the schools. Maybe not necessarily give and take, but she had to basically basically sit and talk with them and be like, okay, what can we do for the for the betterment of my child? have a discussion come to an agreement as opposed to her coming down saying to me like okay you're gonna do this and this for my child Ooh, you know uh, and she found that at least some people she knew were very much more that and were frustrated with the schools because well with anything if you if i say if you sit down with demands and are unwilling to at all change them 
be prepared to have them turned down because uh, yeah. most people, most circumstances want to help you, but they are limited in some way, shape, or form. So the more you're willing to work and accommodate within those boundaries, the more pleasant the situation is. And for my mom, that was her experience. And again, she comes, she, I cannot stress this enough. She emphasized to me a lot that this IEP was a federal program that really helped make sure that everything was a lot more paid for and like money wasn't an issue. It's a matter. Of, it was a matter of working together to for the betterment of me, basically. <laughs> right. So uh, that was kind of uh, everything for for me at least. So at one point, I, as I was talking with Mom, I was like, so I wanted to get kind of her perspective on it, and and so like what would how did she feel after she got the diagnosis? And she told me she was relieved to mm. get the diagnosis because for her, uh, she was. She told me about how she was very like paranoid. She was being a bad mother because mm. uh, I was I was the first child, of course. So she she didn't have anything to compare to. Yeah. And right. so she's like, "Am I being a bad parent? What's going on?" And when she got the diagnosis, she was pregnant with my brother Hunter. Oh. So, wow. So. Yeah. Uh, she was also kind of that was also kind of in the back of her mind as well is mm -hmm. she has another child coming and so that was kind of a relief to her that she was basically she was parenting basically parenting on hard mode and so that's why she was having <laughs> difficulties right. with me so that was kind of a relief also in the sense that there was there was something known that could be not necessarily fixed but worked with that like it has we, a name now yeah the has issue a, has a name now it has a name <laughs> and we know how to uh, deal with it right so no, that's good. Yeah. Um, let's see. So, like she said, it took a lot of time and work to correct. Uh, and I, again, quote air quotes correct. correct. Autism isn't something you correct, but it is something you have to work with. Yep. There is no cure. Yeah. Uh, there is no specific cure for it. Yes. There's no pill. There's no vaccine. Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, that was kind of her impression. Uh, she kind of taught. So I kind of asked her how my dad uh, felt about that. And she used the word that my dad was beside himself to hear the diagnosis. Beside um, himself, I mean, uh, how exactly? It, it she kind of used the word deflated him, like he would like she kind of talked a bit about how it, it seemed to him that he was like, oh great, my son is, uh, oh like, has mental issues kind of thing, like, and not my kid. <laughs> I don't know if it was necessarily that attitude. It was more. I'm exaggerating. Yeah, of course, but because like I mean, he he kind of falls into the stereotypical like what we were talking about before about like not really understanding like mental health as it was kind of changing in especially the 80s, 90s. Well, I mean, the perspective on autism back in the 90s is not all the same as it is now. You know? Oh yeah, I mean, it's like I think back then that was still kind of bit of an unknown to a lot of people. I guess my thinking is that like the is that it was the thinking around it was starting to change that it was something that wasn't necessarily t you told the child deal with it like it was like hey like we need to like sit down and actually have some therapy to help him work through the issue as opposed to just tell him shut up sit down and be like everyone else why can't you be normal <laughs> right. instead of taking that attitude towards it right and i think at least that's kind of probably what my dad was kind of thinking it was still in that older mindset of how mental issues were mm -hmm. so uh he had told my mom at one point that he didn't have time to deal with it and kind of left her to kind of pick up the pieces basically 
I mean, back then, you know, it's like if stuff was di- if stuff like this was diagnosed. I mean, stuff like this wasn't diagnosed even just some decades ago. It's like mm-hmm. usually just meant that you were, you know, I mean, excuse me, I'm going to use the R word here, a retard. You know, a mentally yeah. retarded is yeah. the more professional quote unquote term. Yeah. yeah, and that was really all it was. You were you were age. You were ADHD, mentally retarded. You were uh, on the autism spectrum, mentally retarded. Yeah, that was kind of the catch-all term they used, and uh, now with more understanding of what it is and how to work around those issues for the betterment of those people, uh, we've gotten those different terms to kind of better specify which is what, because you do not treat ADHD the same way you would treat high-functioning autism. No, no. So. Although a lot of a lot of times they can go hand in hand. Oh, really? You know? Well, I mean, what I mean by that is usually if someone is diagnosed with high-functioning autism, um, sometimes uh, ADHD comes with it. It did for me. That oh, was okay. on my diagnosis report. Is that uh, ADHD was kind of a part of that? Oh, interesting. Yeah, maybe not for you. And to be honest, I don't see it with you, but that's just me. Yeah, and you know, it's like there's a you know, just because you have one thing doesn't mean you have another. And yeah, just because you've met one individual on the spectrum doesn't mean you've met the rest. You know, that's uh, well. I mean, I hope to be a <laughs> common truth, but yes. it is the truth. But yeah, um, so he very much took a back... So my dad took very much a back seat as far as, like, parenting me, especially in these early years, because he just... I assume some of it was just, like... At least my impression from my mom told me is that it seemed like for him, he just didn't know how to deal with it. He was also probably still caught up with the old stigma of, oh, great, my child's intellectually retarded. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm sure that played a small, a small role for him, at least, in how he uh, thought about it. So, like I said, he kind of took a back seat, and at least for my mom, he was kind of, she was kind of relieved about that, because at least thinking back on how he, and the few times, on some of the times he did try to be a parent, he probably would have caused more damage than, he probably would have done more harm than good. Mm -hmm. So, at least in that aspect, I appreciate that he he at least took a back seat, as opposed to going to the more toxic route of, no, my child's going to be normal, he's not a, he's not intellectually retarded or anything like that. Right. So, um... So uh, for my mom mentioned he didn't want to know he didn't want to know much about it so he kind of was very much like I don't want to hear about it kind of thing mm. um, he didn't talk about it but he made it a point to go to all of the individual education programs so like all the time so all those like classes like my mom like the parents would be there he made it a point to be there for all those courses interesting yeah I found like when my mom was telling me I was like okay he very much made a point not to know much about it take a back seat not really take charge or do anything with that but he made a point to show up to all those my mom took the cynical route of uh he just wanted to seem like the good parents sure uh and you know that's honestly that's probably true but (laughs) i have you know me being not even five at this point i have nothing else to base that on so uh so there's that. Um, my mom mentioned that, at least at the time, what they knew is that most people with high-functioning autism are diagnosed when they're in first or second grade. Mm-hmm. So especially for me being diagnosed in like pre-kindergarten or kindergarten, that, was, that helped me get a leg up mm-hmm. on that. And especially at the time, she mentioned how a lot of people don't see high-functioning autism. They usually just see ADHD or something like that. Yeah, so sure, yeah. She, again, talked about how like if I was given ADHD pills... That would have had the opposite effect. And she actually told me as I was talking about, by the way, make sure you mention it to your doctor. 
they have high functioning autism because that can potentially affect a lot of different other pills you would you could you would have to take in your the rest of your life they can have the opposite effect or worse effects right so i was like oh okay that's actually good to know that i should know for the rest of my adult life (laughs) yes uh thankfully i don't have any anything to where i need to take any like pills or anything like that but like okay uh keep this in my back pocket just in case i need to take a pill for god knows whatever medical condition in the future so again, like she, she kind of mentioned just a lot of loud noises. I, as a kid, I did not like. Like, uh, uh, do you remember in Toy Story, the original Toy Story, the part where the, where they're, it's towards the end, Woody and Buzz are trying to get back into the moving truck. It's driving away. Yeah. Yeah. And at one point, the dog is chasing them and causes that huge car accident in the yes. middle of that four-way. Yeah. She told, like, as a kid, I loved watching that movie back to back to back to back to back to back to back all day. Oh, wow. And she talked about how every time that scene happened with all the car crashes with the dog, I would scream again as she worded it, bloody murder. Why would you enjoy watching this movie back to back if that scene bothered you so much? Uh, I don't know. I was like five. (laughs) Hey, I want to watch this movie again where this one scene just makes me scream and lose my crap. <laughs> but, like, I think this kind of ties into how, like, she talked about how, like, a, a lot of kids with high-function autism pick up, like, get really focused on things, really, like, just get really involved and focused on things. Mm-hmm. And I think, for me, to- the original Toy Story was one of those things. So even though one of the, mov- one of the, mov- scenes, one of the scenes in the movie scared the crap out of me, apparently, mm-hmm. uh, I would still want to watch it over and over and over again. Because, I mean, right. one, it's a genuinely good movie. And, yeah, it is. <laughs> and two, because, like, I was a kid with high-functioning autism. And I was watching a good movie, and I wanted to keep watching it over and over again. Right, right. So... She talked about how, like, a lot of kids with autism will kind of have, will kind of have that. Um, oh, I, I would know, I would know that. I, um, I loved the first Toy Story when I was a kid. I would watch that over and over again. Another movie I would watch millions of times, uh, Chicken Run. That's Chicken not, Run. Yeah, that's not a Disney movie. That's a DreamWorks film, too. And, uh, yeah, that was one that I would watch all the time, over and over and over again, you know? And now that I've grown up, I kind of look back on it, I'm like... You know, now I, I feel like some of my own personal beliefs stem from watching that movie. Just think about it for five seconds, and it makes a lot of sense. But um, that's neither here nor there, nor will we go there. But um, yeah, that that I think that was my like to you what Toy Story was. Chicken Run was mine. Yeah, and like as she talked about this, like for me, this kind of brought insight into like probably if uh, at least like getting super focused on things. Because, like, for me, like, one of the reasons why I love history so much as a topic is because it's one of those things that you can always further dig into. Like, everything is connected in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. Whether it be, like, you talk about the Thirty Years' War and the transition from politics, like, like uh, politics being religious-based to being more statecraft. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, why does France, a Catholic nation, well, a Catholic state... Uh, nation state kind of hard <laughs> kind of difficult terms to use in this period but i'll just go with state yeah uh kingdom i'll use kingdom uh, the the french kingdom even though it's catholic fought on the protestant side of the 30 years war mm-hmm. kind of helps show that transition towards things no longer being solely based in religion kind of going back to like the crusades and how that was very much a religious expedition there's political and reasons involved but the at least motivating factor for for it was religious right the 30 years year war shows that transition and that kind of leads into so many other topics. 
whether it be like the devastation in Germany and how that kind of helped stops Germany from being a unified state until much later when the German Empire is declared in 1871. And kind of my point being is that the history is such a topic that like you can just keep digging into forever and mm-hmm. never get to, to all of it. And so you can just be so focused on it. Also for me, I love telling people, I love maps. Give yeah. me a map. I will love staring at it for at least 20 minutes. <laughs> As I'm sure you've noticed, I have several globes for kind of that reason. Right. Several, literally. <laughs> Big ones and small ones everywhere. <laughs> I even have one small globe that my mom gave me as a joke because it's a terrible globe. Oh, okay. And it, it's an absolutely <laughs> god-awful globe. Like, not just... Well, you would know because you're obsessed with that sort of thing. Yes. You know? uh, not only just from a general craftsman shape because the parts of the globe that are around, uh, they're not even put on that well. Like, oh, they overlap wow. mm. with each other. But some of the borders are just god-awful. Like... Did she get it for you as a joke because she knew it was awful? Okay. Yes. And and the reason I kept it is because on the bottom there's a sticker that says, not for educational purposes. (laughs) Very clearly. Not for educational purposes. We just slapped this thing together and called it a day. It's supposed to look like a globe, but not be a globe. I get it. So I kept that as a joke because I was like... One, it's actually, it's because it's, it's, it's one of those things that you put at the end of, like, a bookshelf to hold the books up. Yes. If it, so, it's a book holder, <laughs> and yeah, that's all it's good for. That's all it's good for, because it's a god-awful globe. Yeah. And I would know, because I've looked at a fair amount of globes and maps. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I have no doubt. Um, I, was there anything, like, uh, else note-wise? Because I just had a few questions to wrap uh, this up. Nope, that's pretty much it. I covered everything else I have listed here. Again, the IEPs. Again, I emphasize to parents, make sure you look into that. Mm-hmm. It's a federal program. Schools have to abide by it. If they don't know, they, they should be able to apply for it. And definitely work with the schools. Don't dictate to them. There's only so much they can do. But work with them. And don't be the... Uh, bridezilla equivalent of the parent who wants everything and everything for the child including the moon the whole uh school world to revolve around him or her that's a better way to put it yeah yeah yeah, right well i had a i had a question just um because you know you essentially told me that um when you were diagnosed on the autism spectrum you know your mother put this effort into making sure you were quote-unquote trained you know or just schooled to um um, learn how to overcome some of the um, some of the weaker habits or the um, weaker tendencies of um, the autism spectrum. So, do you feel? I know it's kind of a funny sounding question, but now do you feel maybe a little more neurotypical than you would have been had you not gone through this training? I mean, like, what parts of autism do you feel really has much of an effect on you now at all? So I feel pretty normal. Uh, for the most part, uh, especially in the sense of like you know being able to function in society, um, mm-hmm. I think because especially like having this conversation with my mom kind of helped give insight into certain aspects of my personality. Mm-hmm. Like I said, uh, usually when I get frustrated with things, uh, it's I kind of just keep it in uh, yeah, yeah, I until know. <laughs> it's a certain point. Right. Then a pen gets destroyed sometimes. Yeah, two, uh, year, two, uh, no, um, like three or four years later, you're just like, no, stop! I don't want to hear about the last Jedi again. Just shut up! <laughs> I can't anymore. <laughs> you know, around us diehard Star Wars fans, I can talk about any one of the movies yes. for as long as humanly possible. Yeah, you know, one of those things. I guess I, that's one of the less, uh, I guess, one of the less trivial things. Yeah, you know? and I mean, like, it's kind of one of those things where it's like that. That's 
it's not just because I get frustrated with it in the sense of, like, uh, because of my autism, because some of that is also, like, I'm tired of hearing about it. Right, right, I, right. We beat the horse to death and then beat its hypothetical children to death <laughs> and their children and their children about it. Yeah, I right. want to move on kind of thing. Like, <laughs> right. there's other reasons I would still come to that same conclusion, but it's kind of one of those things, like, okay, this is one part of the mosaic that makes my personality. Yeah. Again, like, like I was mentioned before, is, like, I generally don't like sitting for eight hours a day for a job. Like, right. ideally, whatever job, other job I get in the future would have a better balance. But, uh, and the, again, there's plenty of health reasons why you don't want to be sitting too long for for why you sit. Like, I've heard, like, I read one article that talked about how if you sit for too long, there's actually certain blood vessels that get stuck in, like, kind of your leg veins. Yeah. And even just standing up and, like, just, even just taking a five-minute walk really alleviates that problem. And so even doing, so... There's small things like that. So, yeah. like, there's a lot of genuine other reasons I have the reasons that I stand by, certain things I stand by. Mm-hmm. But, again, this autism kind of uh, diagnosis... The, 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 kinda, geese have, the geese have inched a little bit closer to coming. our uh, outdoor studio. <laughs> and they look angry. Now they're just eating. Yeah, anyway, continue. I don't think... Uh, they'll yeah, be, if we don't bother them, they don't won't bother us. Correct. As far as I know. But anyway, um, so again, it's kind of one of those things where I, I have this mosaic of, pers- of my personality and why I'm certain ways. And there's plenty of other pieces of the mosaic that explain why I'm that way. But uh, but me having high function autism is one piece or a few pieces of a mosaic that I hadn't really noticed before I even sat down and talked to my mom about it. Because again, most of this story for me happens before happens while I can barely remember it. Right. If I remember it at all. Right. So... It's kind of like a looking back and just kind of seeing <laughs> and kind of <laughs> see. <laughs> and he just has this look of like, ah, Yeah, ah. he's just talking as he's going. Anyway. He's got a lot to say, a lot on his mind. <laughs> but uh, it's kind of one of those things of like, this helps explain and kind of dig into like who I am and explain certain pieces of my personality. So you don't you don't typically feel like you have to tell people that you're on the autism spectrum. Oh, no. Like when you uh, have a job interview, you, you don't go, by the way, you should know no, <laughs> uh, I'm on the autism spectrum. I legit cannot remember the last time I told someone I have autism. And because like, it never really feels like it's something that, you know, is, is too important. Uh, for other people to know, I feel like it's never it's it's never relevant for me, mm-hmm. and uh, the only times I really bring it up is when someone else brings it up. Sure, yeah. And so, so, like, like for this podcast, when you mm-hmm. talked about, it, I was like, oh yeah, I have I have function autism, so on and so forth. So, with that being said, thanks, Blade, for coming out here and doing this. Hopefully, the sound isn't too distracting that I can figure it out later. But uh, it was great that you came out here, sh- shared your story, and. Um, uh, I'll make sure to have you on in another episode. Yeah, I thank you. And honestly, this made me kind of go on a, a small journey of self-discovery because, like I said, I didn't remember most. Of, I didn't know most of the stuff I talked to my mom about with as far as my autism uh, diagnosis was. So it was yeah. actually very enlightening. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye.